so there's so many stories, right? And so we realized it was going to be all-encompassing and take up all of our time. And you better love what you're going to do. Yeah. And you better have a story to tell. But yeah, so are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Go. Awesome. So I'm here in Prescott. Is that how you say it? Prescott? Prescott. Yeah. From Prescott, right? Correct. Right. <laughs> it's a biscuit. It's a biscuit. Okay, yeah. All right. That's a good way to think of it. Uh, but I'm here with Jeff and Jen Herbert from Superstition Meadery. Guys, this is awesome. Pretty cool. Thanks for being this. here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think I was telling uh, Jeff, um, I think it was you I was communicating with a long time ago when I started this yes. podcast. Right? Oh my gosh. That yeah. was a really long time ago. That was like last February, I think. Yeah. I was so excited. And then like two days before my daughter got sick and I had to cancel and I was telling Jeff that you guys were the one that got away. But uh, right. here we are. All right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, guys, thanks for having us up. This is This is awesome. Yeah. Cool. So what's what's going on here? I see barrels all around us. There's what is that? About seventeen thousand gallons worth of uh, apple juice behind me. Yeah, let's yeah. do <laughs> let's do a virtual tour of our of our production facility. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we can tell you our our story in a minute, but just as far as this building goes, um, behind where you're sitting is our our fermentation area. So this building is three thousand seven hundred and fifty square feet. The ceiling's twenty six feet. Uh, goes 18 to 26 feet um, as far as the vaulted ceiling there. So we have plenty of room to put in really big tanks or stack barrels or get big fooders down the line. So a third of this square footage is all pitched floors that, you know, slope down to floor drains. And so we've got our packaging area behind you where we have a bottling line that was uh, made for us uh, in Italy. And so that can do uh, still or carbonated meat or cider, or, you know, if you were doing beer or spirits, it can bottle anything that you want, really. Nice. And then with change parts, we can, and we have those, we can actually put four different sizes or styles of bottles through that bottling line right now. So we have 750 milliliter clear and amber flip top bottles. We also have 500 milliliter and 375 milliliter corked bottles. So we set the bottles in one end of that machine and then a conveyor belt takes in six bottles at a time and it, it purges uh, the room air with argon or whatever gas that you want, but that's what we use. And then it rinses the bottles and then it fills them and it'll cork them or crown cap them or bypass either of those closures come out the other end where we would, in the case of a flip top, manually apply a flip top, orient it, and then the next machine in line in our bottling line there is a custom made flip top closing machine that came from Austria, from the only company in the world that makes this sort of equipment. And we even sent uh, one of our staff over to get trained in how to do this in Austria and you know troubleshoot the machine. Yeah. So that's a flip top closing machine. So what we learned really early on, because Jen and I used to do every single aspect of you know production, packaging, labeling, sales, right, before we had any staff. And your thumbs get really tired after about three or four cases of closing these bottles. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with this setup, we can actually fill and close bottles as fast as you can set an empty bottle onto the machine. So those machines work faster than even three or four staff at once could possibly work. Wow. So what would normally take about four days to process, when you look at those larger fermenters behind you, that's about 1,000 gallons or 30 barrels, give or take. Okay. That would take us like four days with four or five people working with our old, you know, sort of manual bottling line. Right. It wasn't a bottling line. Yeah. It was a filler, right? <laughs> right? But with this setup, we can do that in about six hours. Wow. So it was a major, uh, 
you know, increase for us in, in productivity and efficiency by, you know, moving into this space and having that. And then you can see in the sort of the middle section of that fermentation area, we have some um, high-density polyethylene cubes. That we, we, that's what we call those. Um, those are made by uh, Flex Tank. That's a company where uh, this guy had a PhD in biochemistry and was a winemaker. Those are great. They're not glycol jacketed, so we rarely ferment in those smaller batches, but they're awesome for blending and storing things. They actually mimic a neutral barrel as far as microoxidation. Okay. And you can stack them, forklift them, so they're really convenient. Um, you know, one day we'll outgrow those, but for now they're still coming in handy. And then you start to see our glycol system and how it's plumbed into both red wine tanks and unit tanks uh, from Premier Stainless. That's that, which, the black lines up there? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you always have, you know, you're in and out, and, and we can maintain our fermentation temperatures. We can cold crash, just like you would do in, in a brewery. Okay. So some of the techniques that we use in, in making mead, we can get into that a little later, um, come from the brewing world, some come from the winemaking world. Um, but one thing that's kind of unique to what we do is you can see that um, like half open lid on that big old stainless vessel with yeah. that blue thing, that's yeah. a motor. So that's a 1,000 gallon mixing tank. So we mix our honey and water together as we're making mead and we have you know wine pumps that move our stuff back and forth. We have a honey pump that is, it's called a worm drive flux pump that comes from Germany. Wow. And so we can pump, you can see those honey drums sitting behind you, about 55 gallons of honey. It takes about a half hour to get that out of there. That's a, that's a drum of honey. That's, that's all honey. 55 gallon drums so of honey. three or four of those <laughs> drums, depending on what we're making, are yeah. going to go into that machine as water's going in. And if you were up on a ladder right now looking down in there, you'd see stainless steel mixing arms. So that's an industrial mixing machine. We have CIP. You can kind of see that little arm sticking out the top. So we have that custom yeah. welded on there so we can clean in place that machine as well as, of course, all our other equipment there as well, just like you would do in the brewing world. Gotcha. And then you see those, you know, the line of fermenters over there and then our labs on the other side with some of our, you know, special ingredients and, you know, the, the yeast and the things that go into making what we do. So that's, and our filters back there, we have a lenticular filter, just like you'd use in the brewing world. Um, we have different modules depending on what, you know, size micron we're filtering down to. And then, yeah, you, you asked about the apple juice. So Huge things of apple <laughs> juice. Yeah. When we started making cider, uh, we strictly used organic Arizona apple cider from the English Family Fruit Farms. We can't get enough of that cider now to make our cider, so we make sizer. So that's a mead where you ferment apple juice and honey together. Interesting. And so okay. it's it's really expensive. It's really small batch stuff that that this guy Dwight English makes for us, and he's the only commercial cider producer in the state. And oh, so we buy all that we can, but it's yeah. really like 150 gallons here and there a few times a year during the season. Yeah. So we actually for our cider we we buy frozen, not from concentrate apple juice that gets shipped down from Washington State, and right now those big totes behind you. Yeah, we've got about a thousand gallons of apple juice sitting there defrosting. So we've got to wait until that gets to, you know, proper yeast pitching temperature. So on Monday, that'll become, um, you know, what'll be Blueberry Spaceship Box, which is our nice. flagship cider. I think a lot of people just listening were just like drooling when you said the, the <laughs> what, what do you, you call it, BSB? Yeah, BSB. Yeah, the BSB. Yeah. I know a lot of people that are huge fans of that. It's it's a lot of fun to make. So yeah, that's a that's a pretty funny story. When Jen and I were in our we're working backwards in time here, but we if you go down to the tasting room with us after this interview, you'll see our former production space to this building and our current tasting room. And our kids were you know pretty young, and and when you're an entrepreneur and and you can't afford to just pay contractors to do all the work, Jen and I were in there 
welding, running a jackhammer, sanding, putting up wallpaper, figuring stuff out. And so our kids had some late nights, and one of the things they did before we had an Xbox set up for them was they took a big cardboard box and they turned it into a spaceship with you know windows and missile buttons and things. Nice. And so we called that the spaceship box. And then one day we were you know working on this like cider name. You know I'm like, well, what are we going to call it? And our first cider we called Principia. So when you think of cider when you think of apples like what images come to your mind maybe from history or oh i, th- I picture like johnny Appleseed or okay. something yeah you know like the apple trees and who's the guy that got the arrow shot apple on his head william tell oh yeah, yeah. william <laughs> tell all right so william tells a new one for me but i get that that's cool um so two things people commonly say are either like Isaac Newton, like the apple and the gravity okay, and the tree. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Adam and Eve is, always comes up, yeah, right? Yeah, So not the ones I said then. That's all right. But, <laughs> but, now, but see, now this is how we come up with new names. This yeah, is awesome. right. Well, we, we kind of went with the Newton thing, right? And okay. so uh, Isaac Newton's crowning achievement was the Principia, or principles in Latin, okay. where he explained a lot of superstitions of the day. He explained gravity, how, you know, that, you know, the planets move around the sun. And, you know, that was really controversial at the time. Yeah. And so when I think of, like, the apple, the first thing I thought of was, like, Newton sitting under the tree in that picture of, you know, oh, what makes the apple fall? I'm going to, like, figure this out mathematically. Yeah. So we called our first cider Principia. And so we sort of have this celestial reference to some of our cider names. So that's, we're like, all right. Let's go with Blueberry Spaceship Box. Yeah, that's a cool name too. Like that's, I mean, just just the way that all flows together. It's like, what the hell does it even mean? I don't hundred percent know. Now, now you know, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Random words put together that just make sense. Yeah. And yeah. if you look on the bottle, the artwork includes our two kids, and they're like spacemen gathering up blueberries and putting them in their box and it's it's kind of cute if you take a closer look at the label on it yeah well now that people know the story too right. you know because uh you know the whole world's gonna hear this episode after this is you know published here <laughs> awesome yeah five billion people five billion people <laughs> now it all makes sense they know what it was about yeah um so where did it start like how did you guys even how do you get, even get into mead good question so um the really long story is uh, I was doing a, a trip to Borneo, and there was this sort of hotel on the coast where all the travelers hung out, and you'd go and you know have a beer at the cafe below it. And one night I was hanging out with the owner of the hotel, and a couple Americans were there, and it turned out this guy I was talking to was a biologist that uh, grew up in Mesa, Arizona, not far from where we were living at the time, down in the valley. And where was this again? Borneo. Where's that at? I've never even heard so of So Borneo's in Southeast Asia. Okay. So it's an island that's kind of big and it's um, it's got Brunei and Malaysia and Indonesia okay. that like own different sort of provinces or countries depending on what you're referring to there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, south of the Philippines, uh, you know, it's kind of northeast of Singapore, Malaysia. Gotcha. So um, yeah, just traveling, that's, that's a whole other story. But anyways, I was there <laughs> having a conversation and, um, and this guy was a biologist that was really cool named Mark and we stayed in touch and so he would come back and visit his folks uh, usually at Christmas time and he'd bring us, you know, like a gift and we'd have dinner and, and one year he brought homebrew beer and I kept talking about it. Yeah. And so six months later I got home from work at my other full-time job at the fire station and Jen had a homebrew kit for me and a shelving unit and that refrigerator with all those cool stickers on it, which nice. we're commandeering and taking it back to our house this week oh, yeah. <laughs> since we've replaced it with a commercial fridge. I saw that. That was uh, that's a, an impressive fridge back there too. And, uh, you know, we, didn't know anything about homebrewing, didn't have any friends that did it, and just on my own um, through, you know, research on the internet and getting books, I, I just got way into it. And before my first beer was done fermenting, I went to the homebrew store in Tempe and I said, I want to make a Belgian beer because I like those and uh, I want to make a mead. And so um, Thanksgiving is kind of a big deal for us. And Jen puts on a spread like 
no one else. So I thought, hey, I'm going to make a, you know, a mead for Thanksgiving. So I did a maple mead, just Jen's from the Northeast. And, you know, we always have a little bit of real maple syrup before our kids get to it, I guess, (laughs) in the house. So uh, it actually turned out really good. And so I just kept mead in my rotation in homebrewing beer. So I'd kind of do, you know, a beer every two weeks, maybe in a mead every month or so, you know, because it took longer to make and, and whatnot. And then started getting into, you know, oak, uh, you know, couldn't afford barrels back then or to fill one much less. Yeah. Right. But, you know, got into, you know, the oak adjuncts that were out there and all different kinds of ingredients. And Jen and I, you know, we're, we never went to culinary school, but we love cooking. Yeah. And, you know, probably once a week we do something from scratch. She's always doing something new. And so we took that motivation to combine different flavors and that sort of passion for, you know, going out to eat at cool places whenever we can in, and we put all of that into home brewing and, you know, when you're, you know, a fireman, in my case, lots of firemen have side gigs and usually it's construction or real estate or something like that. And, you know, when your friends come over drinking all your beer for free and you, you know, if you're making five or 10 gallons at a time, you're going to get in trouble if you really are going to put all that down yourself. So <laughs> yeah. we'd invite our friends over. We love, you know, hosting folks and, and they're like, Hey, you, sh- you should sell this stuff. So I started reading all of the books I could about, you know, beer people. and mead. Um, well, there's really no books on how to have a meadery yet, okay, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, on, you know, like Sam Calagione's dogfish head book on like, yeah. that was like one of the first books I read. And, you know, so anything I could get, you know, access to from, you know, magazines and, and books was, was important. Started reading some business books, wound up taking a class. It was the second one they'd ever had at the Siebel Institute in Chicago on how to start a brewery. Oh, okay. So yeah. Siebel and UC Davis are sort of known as two of the best places in America to become a, a like a master brewer, but they were putting on a class that was you know, just three days on how to start a brewery. And I knew the least out of anyone in the class. And the first question they asked was, who here is an award-winning home brewer? And everyone but me raised their hands. Oh, and really? I looked at the guy next to me and I said, they have awards for this stuff? Like, I, I really didn't know anyone that did it. You yeah. Know? Um, I felt like I got an MBA in three days uh, in this whole process. Yeah. Uh, learned how to write a business plan from people that had just done it in the industry. You know, they only had you know, very successful people teaching all of the different, you know, modules in this course and the TTB was there. And, you know, there were, you know, Randy Mosher, Ray Daniels, people that like are now like I know are like well-known in the beer world. Like I had yeah. no idea who anyone was, which <laughs> right. was kind of funny. Yeah. And so they really had some of the best minds in the industry teaching this class, came home and Jen and I started our first business plan. Yeah. And so then we sold our house, we moved to Prescott and within being here for about a, a month, we went out to the closest winery just for something to do. And before we left, uh, Juniper Wall Ranch was a former winery in Skull Valley, Arizona, just west of Prescott. Uh, the owners invited us to make mead there. Yeah. And so we wound up being volunteers and interns at a winery. And so because we had some homebrewing experience, we turned out to be pretty good free help to, we did everything but prune vines at this winery. They had five acres of vines, but we helped make wine, you know, rack barrels, uh, bottle, everything that you would do, you know, sampling, blending. We worked in the tasting room. Yeah, on and the helped weekends. with events. Yeah. So we really learned the business kind of as apprentices before we ventured out on our own. And it was really a great experience. I would say that'd be super valuable, like to get all aspects of it. Because it's not just, it's like a restaurant, right? Just because you can cook well doesn't mean you're going to have a successful restaurant. You got to understand all aspects. So that right. was really cool. They introduced us to yeah. some, you know, high profile people in the wine world. And we thought at first that our business plan would be to push it into the wine world, that the wine drinkers would really appreciate a different style of wine. Yeah. 
But that wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. <laughs> commercial break. <laughs> that would be a perfect segue to a commercial. Uh, yeah. um, so that, so, and how long ago was this? Okay, so that was in 2012. We're coming up on our six-year anniversary of getting okay. our, in May, yeah. um, in just next month, I guess, mm-hmm. it'll be six years of having a commercial license. Oh, wow. So we wound up, we had to sort of prove ourselves, right, to, to you know, the winery. And so we kind of worked a season with them. Okay. And then the following um, spring, we applied for our license, and that, that took a while. And there's a lot of fun stories everyone has with getting their first license approval from the TTB federally and then to the state and locally and whatnot. Super easy, right? Yeah, yeah. piece of cake. They just walked right through it. It was so... Right, right. And they were so helpful and knowledgeable, too. <laughs> So don't, yeah, and if you have a problem, yeah, there's just always an issue, you know, but then yeah. they help you out. And it's just no one part, you know, is that challenging. But when you put it all together, it's, there's always something, you know, yeah. that goes right. But we figured it out and we wound up setting up the first alternating proprietorship in Arizona. So that's where one separate licensed alcohol producer rents space from another. So your options in, in brewing would be contract brewing, for example, where okay. you could pay someone that's, you know, already has a license and everything to make a beer for you under your name. And yeah. then on the back label, it'll probably say made at such and such brewery. You can do the same thing in the wine world. And that's called custom crush. But we wanted to figure out everything on our own, you know, our own label approval, formula approval in the case of Mead and in all of the business stuff. So we set up the first AP, they call that. And we had a tiny little space in this winery where we had four barrels and we could borrow a fermenter and we shared utilities and we'd borrow their bottling line. Bottling line. It was a six head gravity filler, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and a four corker we helped out with. And we, but we got into the flip top thing pretty early on yeah. to sort of define what we do and have this um, you know, branding image and a level of quality, this old world style, like our bottles are made at one factory in the world in Germany, which is kind of cool. So it's oh, really every unique. bottle that you guys have. Well, the, the flip tops, oh, the flip tops. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that is cool. That's a cool image. Like the, it's just, there's just something when you look at it, it's, I don't know. I just, I think anything I've ever had a flip top in, I have them collected somewhere because right. you can't throw them away. Right. It's like, this is, it's this hard is, too. Cause people yeah. always ask us, do you want them back? And we're like, no, we right. can't reuse them. Yeah. They're all yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really common thing in America. You're not allowed to refill alcohol bottles. They always have to be new in some yeah. other countries you can. Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. I guess I never even thought about yeah. it like that. We go through a lot of bottles. So it's, yeah. you would think that that would be something that they would, they would promote. Right. <laughs> nope. Just guess not. Yeah. Consumerism. Not, not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we we um you know sort of proved ourselves to to the owners of this winery and um, we wound up applying for our license and it wound up working out. So six years ago, and after we were there for a few months, uh, this couple that we're still friends with, they're great folks. They were like, hey, we're going to retire and sell this ranch and. Uh, in the winery and all that stuff. And Do you s- want to buy it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, okay. Yeah. We, we did the math and, and I adding a half hour to my drive wasn't going to be working out. Yeah. <laughs> taking the kids to school too. You know, it's yeah. like, it's kind of out there. It's a beautiful place. But, uh, and the new owners invited us to stay on, but we, at the same time, started looking for a new place to do this. And there was really, even though they had a tasting room open on the weekends, you know, it was, it was in the middle of nowhere, okay. which is yeah. a fun place to be, but hard to get to, right? Yeah. And so we found our current tasting room location right in downtown Prescott on the square, which the, the courthouse square in Prescott, if you guys don't know, is on many lists, like a top 10 public space in America. It's wow. gorgeous. There's events all the time, yeah. drinking events, craft fairs, things like that. And so, you know, the walkability, you know, rating for that location is perfect. So yeah. almost a million people a year visit two sides of that square, the Whiskey Row side and the Gurley Street side that we're on. Oh, nice. So we thought, hey, this makes sense for, for a business. So we were the first folks to sign a lease. 
And we, we lease about 2,500 square feet in the cellar of this historic building that was built right after this big fire in 1901 that kind of swept through Prescott. Okay. And when we go down there later, you'll, you know, we'll give you the tour of that as well. But we turned that space over about a year of us literally doing all the work uh, into a really cool tasting room and a really small production facility. Yeah. And we made, I think, 6,800 gallons the last full year we were in there. We've been in this place now for for a year like almost to the day yeah so we we saved up for you know all, all we could for a couple of years uh, so we could get a down payment for an SBA loan we bought the property where we're, where we're at right now uh, and got a construction loan and an equipment loan after that in order to get to be where we're where we're sitting and, and hanging out yeah and this is great too I love this facility and, and so you built it like you built this from scratch yeah yeah so that's nice too because you could customize it how you didn't have to tear it down to build it back yeah. up. It was and we looked at some yeah. commercial real estate around town, but the amount of time and energy to retrofit an existing building, yeah. it didn't make sense. It was actually less expensive just to build our own building. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we never thought we could do this. And so we looked at everything in our price range in, in town. Yeah. And then one, and we got frustrated. Like we hit a wall and we're like, nothing's working out. And then Jen and I just looked at each other one night and we're like, can we afford to get land and build something for what it would cost to retrofit and it turned out yeah we we could yeah nice. and it's yeah. so much nicer everything's brand new you know everything's clean it's just the way we would want it so yeah nice well, how did you guys backtrack a little bit how did you come up with the name superstition metering that's a, a really good question so uh, my undergraduate degree was in anthropology and so okay. i've always been interested in history religion and mythology and so you know like anyone starting a business we're brainstorming and that was one of the names that came up and it was kind of obvious because we used to live near superstition mountain okay but it's not named for the mountain necessarily it turns out that mead is totally intertwined with history religion and mythology and so there's so many stories right and so i thought if you're going to have a business you know one of the lessons that we learned because we had a couple friends that had small businesses that were unrelated uh, to you know the alcohol bev field or whatever. But you know we were asking everyone for advice and and we realized it was going to be all encompassing and take up all of our time. And you better love what you're going to do yeah. and you better <laughs> have a story to tell, or what's the point, yeah. right? Yeah. And so so much of what we've done from the beginning was you know novel, you know new things, new ingredients, new ways of doing stuff, new ways of doing business even, and. Uh, I think superstition really sort of captured the feeling that we wanted to put into this this business. Yeah. And so our logo is based on a sculpture that's in a museum in Greece. It's a Minoan sculpture, okay. and it's made of steatite, like a stone with gilded wood horns, and it's hollow. And so ancient Minoans would fill this bull sculpture with a mead-like beverage, right? They used honey. Yeah. And they'd pour it out of the mouth of the bull on a temple as a libation to the gods in ancient ceremonies. So we thought that's something that will also really kind of capture what we're about. Yeah. So that's why you see this bull everywhere around here. So it's, yeah. you know, burned into our barrels. It's a 14-foot mural on our walls. Yeah. And then uh, even behind Jen and I, we're about to do a rum barrel aging program. I was wondering what so that was, yeah. figuratively removed the skin and ears from the bull and made this skull over cross sword. So it's sort of this pirate flag, right? So we're going to yeah. come up with a whole series of meads that are uh, rum inspired this year. Nice. Okay. That sounds pretty awesome too. Because you guys have been doing new stuff like the whole time. I mean, I think that's that's really cool. It's uh, You were saying that you were thought it was going to take over the, the wine people were going to 
take this on. But they're not that adventurous. We found <laughs> out they really know what they like. Yeah. Want want the same thing over and over, and um, it's really been the beer fans that Craft have beer. gotten into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because we're doing we're just pushing the limit every single. You know, we always just say that our imaginations are really our only boundaries because if we can think of it, we can make it. And yeah. What, what do we have here? I'm, I've, I've oh, been yeah. looking at this stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we pulled a couple of nails right before we set up the, the mics. And so the first thing we're going to sample is this is right out of a, an oak barrel and it's, it's a new barrel. So this should have a pretty oaky component, even though it's only been in there for four or five months, which is enough to, to pull that out. So this is called Snowmelt. And so this is a 15% ABV Chardonnay piment. So when you ferment wine grapes with honey, we call that a piment. So this is sort of an ancient style of mead to make, but also using our, you know, sort of modern techniques and barrel aging with American oak, uh, medium toast. Uh, we'll see how this tastes. So, Wow, that's... I've never tasted anything like that because you smell it and you, you're expecting that like dry, excuse me, the uh, dry red wine, but then there's that sweetness to it. That's it's like a Chardonnay on steroids or yeah. like if you guys ever had like a late harvest wine where, you know, the grapes get really sweet and the, the yeast maybe stops working. And so there's a hint of residual sweetness. So it balances out that alcohol, but you know, it's still young and you know, this will come out probably in the, in the summer or fall. And this would be a really nice, you know, at least up in Prescott, right? Cool yeah. fall weather drinking <laughs> right, beverage. Right. So, um, so how's the process different from making beer? Like, how is it? Because I've noticed a lot of the same equipment. Um, so, is it more similar to the beer making process than wine? So we we don't use any heat in what we do, which okay. is different than brewing for sure. Yeah. Um, and and in winemaking, you know, you're not going to cook your your grapes, right? That would be a whole different sort of thing, right? Yeah. So so in that regard, it's much closer to winemaking. So we're not doing the heating, but the real difference is managing the fermentation, and so. We want our yeast to be as happy and healthy as they possibly can. And most of what we do is 13% or above as far as the ABV goes. And so even for wine yeast that's sort of, you know, made or rated to do that sort of, you know, alcohol tolerance in the process, we want to use uh, yeast nutrients and, and oxygen and degassing. So degassing is is getting the, um, the CO2 out of solution during the fermentation process, okay. which is a byproduct of fermentation as far as the yeast is concerned. So, you know, the yeast is going to come in contact with the sugar molecule, and it's going to create, you know, esters and phenols, like a lot of the flavors and aromas that you love. But if the yeast is stressed, it can create negative off flavors. So we want the yeast to be really happy and healthy. And so... We're going to use food-grade oxygen for a certain part of that fermentation. As we're pumping and as we're pumping, we're degassing and removing that CO2. We do that every day for, for several days, and it all depends on, you know, the yeast and the temperature and what we want, you know, the end result to be. Okay. And so it's sort of easy to set up and to make meat. So sometimes we'll do a collaboration, you know, with a brewer, mm -hmm. and they're like, wow, that was easy. And we're like, yeah, but the next couple of days, it's, you know, really hands-on, and you're pumping, and uh, you don't just sort of set it and forget it. And... There are certainly breweries that, that manage the fermentations and wineries as well, especially for higher ABV things, or, you know, maybe they're going to feed the fermentation. That's, you know, another technique we'll use as well. So that's really the big difference. Okay. Gotcha. And, and that's, um, you guys have done a lot of collaborations with breweries, right? Absolutely. Because we were talking about this before we started recording, and I think I was like, oh, I think Renhouse and Wandering Tortoise, and then you, you ran off a list of, like, 
who's who, right? Like you guys have, I think, is that a Bottle Logic sticker in the back door there? It is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've never had Bottle Logic, but I've heard Jen's Oh, you like, should have let me know. I know. I'm like, <laughs> no, I've go heard. look in the trunk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, so you guys have collaborated with a lot of people. Yeah, um, from, you know, Bottle Logic to McKellar San Diego, uh, War Pigs, Mabinogi and Meadery, uh, Horace, um, Jay Wakefield. It's, you know, it, it's really just really an honor to work with so many of these you know, amazing minds in, in the in the beer world. And it's so fun to share ideas and come up with, usually we're doing something neither of us have ever done before, you yeah. know, when we're doing that sort of thing. And so we always try and make something really special. Um, you know, behind you in one of those cubes, we've got um, a collaboration we did with Arizona Wilderness, where oh, we nice. used cherries and blackberries, whole fruit. We crushed the fruit, and we were trying to figure out what to do because we didn't want all the cherry pits to get in there, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, some's okay, but you don't want, you know, a 1,000 pounds of them. Yeah. And so we actually <laughs> used our wine press as a juicer, and then uh-huh. we were able to get, you know, over 100 gallons of just cherry juice out of about 1,000 pounds of cherries. Wow. And, of course, Arizona honey is something that we use in, in every one of our meads, which is really cool. Uh, so that's going to go into French oak. And so I just ordered our first French oak barrels, which we couldn't justify the expense on because they're about, you know, almost $1,000 each, you know, to get them here. Wow. Compared okay. to about half of that for American oak. Okay. So we have a French oak barrel aging series starting, and that'll be the first thing that goes into it. Nice. Um, so yeah, we always try and do something really cool when we work with with breweries. Yeah. Uh, I'm heading out to collab with Pure Project and Council in San Diego in June, and I mean we can go look at the board over there. But it's we're either hosting or 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 traveling to do a collab every month this year for yeah. sure. That's awesome, and that's really cool that the that because uh, I know the craft beer community has really embraced you guys too, and it's just I, I love the craft beer community. I mean, that's why when I started this podcast, um, it was, and I'm sure the people listening have heard this story ten thousand times, <laughs> but it was craft beverage, right? I was going to do wine, coffee, right. beer, but after about five episodes of with the breweries, I'm like, nah, this this is the industry that I want to work with. Um, they're just great, like everybody's so open minded and it's so collaborative, um, and. I mean, like the guys from Dark Sky are some of my favorites. And if you're talking about guys that do whatever they want and nail it, it's those guys, you know? They're great. And it's funny, um, they just dropped off some kegs here. And um, we, we export to nine countries. And so one of them is Hong Kong. And there's a festival in a couple of weeks there that's going on. And it's the first craft beverage festival of its kind in Hong Kong, right? Wow. And so... Um, my contact there from MonsterCraft, the importer, reached out and said, hey, is there anyone you can think of that you know would want to participate in this festival and send a couple kegs? So Ren House and Dark Sky are part of it. So Arizona is going to be represented with us and those two guys. And so we just consolidated our kegs on one pallet down at Ren House. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. And in a few weeks, there's going to be you know, this event going on on the other side of the world. Yeah. And it's Flagstaff, Phoenix, and Prescott all represented there. That's awesome. One of the biggest cities in the world, too, right? Yeah. I mean, what is there, like 17 billion people in Hong Kong? <laughs> There's billions and billions, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, so I was going to ask you, too. So you mentioned um, your nine countries you guys are in? Right. Yeah. That, so we're all, I mean... Yeah, so um, we, we just sent a couple pallets to Norway uh, in Sweden. We're working on another order for Sweden here soon. And Jenna will be there for an event. Uh, we can talk about some of the events we do later, which is really... Yeah. We're really stoked on that. Um, Belgium. We export to Belgium. Uh, in Denmark, uh, Thailand, Taiwan, mainland China, Hong Kong, and Singapore. So those are our nine markets internationally. We distribute throughout California, 
And we just sent our first three pallets to Georgia, which sold in a couple of weeks, which is cool. So we're working our next order uh, for the state of Georgia. And we just sent a couple pallets to Washington, D.C. So we're sort of, uh, you know, southeast, mid-Atlantic, west coast. And people um, that we decide to work with, they generally reach out to us. And they seem to, you know, say all the right things and know about our product. And so, so far, that's that's been working out pretty cool. Nice. So that's that's happened by word of mouth, like the distrib- distribution to all these places. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So our, our mission statement, I guess we should say, right, is uh, to reintroduce the world's oldest fermented beverage to mankind. Yeah. So every single thing that we do is in service to that mission. You know, everything in this building, every bit of sales work, every event, every collaboration, everything we're doing is, you know, introducing new people to, to meet and what we do and our style and superstition. And it takes a lot of work. And, um, you know, it in, in some ways, you know, we think like, oh, we could just, you know, hang out in Prescott and, and, and cruise, you know, but that's that's not what we do. Like some days you're like, that would be nice. But um, <laughs> right. we're traveling the world. And Jen and I are going to Copenhagen for the fourth year in a row to what's probably the coolest beer festival ever, uh, McKellar Beer Celebration Copenhagen, MBCC. I think I said that right. It's changed the, the name like four times. <laughs> Every year. I'm like, what's the initials name. for that? It's it like used to be CBC, letters. but apparently. We, we still call it CBC, yeah. but, but, but McKellar has been uh, an, an amazing uh, company to sort of associate with and, and to invite us to, to that event year in and year out is just it's like kind of the coolest honor you know you could have and the friends that we've made and the relationships we've built and the markets that we've opened up because of that is really awesome in the first year we went we had no clue like kind of what it all even meant yeah and we're like well this is fun but like we don't know what it really means and (laughs) by the time we went for our second year was like oh now we're sending stuff to you know, some other countries were seeing our stuff popping up on the, you know, the interwebs and, yeah. you know, untapped and rate beer and Instagram and, and people were, you know, trading and spreading it all over the world. And so we're just trying to, you know, f- fo- you know, just keep that going, I guess. And, and it's yeah. a lot of fun. So um, someone from Superstition, either Jen, I, or one of our staff will be doing events in seven of those nine countries in a 12 month period this year, which oh, is wow. pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty cool that you guys get out there. It's not a matter of like, hey, here's our product, you know, consume our product. It's like you guys are going there to, to for them to see you and yeah. like a thank you, right? Like and, and a funny story from our first year, you know, we didn't really know what we were getting into. And we were parked next to Cigar City, who also makes meat and cider. And we're just cruising. And I don't remember which session it was, but the doors opened and it's a rush and they're all flooding towards us. And I'm like, oh, they've heard of it. Like the world has heard of Super. They're <laughs> running to us. And I, they're all in line, of course, at Cigar City. And I'm like, we're like, hey, it's free over here. You guys can come try our meat. And they're like, all in line. And I looked at the, it was the owners at the time. And I said, what are you guys pouring over there? And they said, Hoonapoos. And we're like, Oh, okay. I better try that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So people were running in, but um, the last last year, people ran in to catch some of the stuff that we were offering too, which was really fun and exciting because it's nice to have a line and you look around, you're like, who's got the longest lines? And yeah, it's nice to see that Mead has an has an actual line at at some of these festivals that are around the world, not just in your own hometown. So yeah. Well, and I think Mead, it's one of the the oldest beverage, oldest alcoholic right. beverage. Yeah. So when you look at, you know, people say wine, beer, meat's the oldest, right? But when you look at what's 
sort of like agreed on by science. Dogfish Head worked with Pat McGovern, who's a, um, I believe I'm saying this right, biomolecular archaeologist from the University so, of Pennsylvania. Sounds right. You're sounds not going to If not, it's yeah. close to back from me. So <laughs> No one's going to challenge you. <laughs> so he's written a bunch of books on you know ancient wine and ancient brewing and stuff. And yeah. so they've worked together to analyze you know these old vessels and try and recreate recipes. And so the oldest is Chateau Jihao, which... I think I'm saying right. So that was this, uh, there was a pot in China. It was 9,000 years old, and, and honey was used in that beverage, okay. which is pretty cool. Yeah. And so there were also, you know, some grains and some fruit. And that's kind of cool because also in one of Pat's books, they talk about, you know, the, the, the alcoholic beverage that went to that sculpture that became our logo. And it was the same thing. It was honey, and they think wine grapes and some grain. I mean, people used whatever they had access to. Yeah. But you know, arguably, people had access to honey since before recorded history, yeah. and accidentally, fermentation can happen, right, with wild yeast and bacteria out there. So, yeah. so yeah, people, you know, have been drinking mead since, you know, before anyone was writing it down. Yeah. When I think a lot of people's experience with it has been, like, the, the not-so-good mead, too, right? Like, the... the what's the festival like the renaissance festival right. style yeah. we get a lot of people that come down and say oh i've had it i know i don't like it yeah we're like wait just <laughs> give this a try it's a little different a little different practices than yeah probably what you've had in the past and, yeah, and it's kind of one-dimensional i mean imagine if you'd only had bud light and you thought that's what all beer was you know yeah. oh, so <laughs> that's why i didn't drink beer I, for the longest time I, I so i grew up in ohio and i always would tell people like yeah i don't i don't like beer but all i drank was natty light mm-hmm. bud light if we we're you know had a little extra money right <laughs> maybe coors light an extra dollar yeah but then you but then you start drinking craft beer and i'm like okay yeah this is this is what it is so people now are tasting your mead and be like okay this is different than what i thought I think it's cool that, you know, if you're at a bottle share or a party, right, and you're drinking stouts and sours and, you know, some of the, you know, crazy Belgians or whatever that everyone loves and and we love, you know, after a couple hours, you know, you get a little bit of palate fatigue. And so then when the mead comes out, you're like, oh, cool, there's like these really bold flavors often. And it's, it's, it's like a nice time to, to come into that, to the party, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool that, you know, the craft beer world is so open-minded and always wants to try, you know, what's the next top that's popular? What's the next style of beer that people are tweaking or, or whatnot? So that's really kind of cool how, you know, the craft beer world has embraced what we're doing with mead. And like Jen said, when you go to these big festivals and there's, you know, one, two or three meaderies there out of, you know, 50 to 100 breweries and you see people digging the mead, it's cool because it's something different. It's, I mean, and we, you know, we have our favorite beers. We're always going out, taking breaks and trying to find too. It's just like everyone. <laughs> yeah. And we, we love that, but, but it's cool to do something different and to have, you know, we're, you look around and you've been to, you know, big breweries, like, you know, there, there aren't that many meaderies that are much bigger than the facility that we're in right now, anywhere in the world. Yeah. And so we're, along with a handful of other people, really sort of defining this industry. And I tell our staff at every staff meeting, they're probably getting tired of hearing it, but (laughs) every customer interaction you have, every time you talk to your friends, your family, about mead, you're defining what it is and you're educating people. And so when you come into our tasting room, you have an experience that, you know, if it's a slower day, it's kind of like the Discovery Channel when our staff are just going to tell you story after story about mead and history and what we're doing around the world and the events and all of that. So... There's, there's a lot to it, and it, it's it's really cool. And I think on Untap right now, there's over 170 superstition products. Oh, really? That we've wow. done in six years. So nice. Yeah, we're not, and some of those are really small batch one-offs or whatever we've created for special events, and yeah. some of it's a thousand gallons like at a time, like behind you. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Where, you know, we have you know sort of a core lineup or things we try not to run out of. You know, that people dig, but we're always coming up with new stuff. 
So, hey, let's try this next mead that I poured. So this oh, yeah, was, absolutely. again, a, a nail that we pulled. So this is aphrodisia. This is something that we've we've had come out um, every year for the last few years. It's a, a pimate, but, but we use red wine. So in this case, we use Syrah grapes from California, Arizona mesquite honey. And it's also um, coming out of a new American oak barrel. So cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you so much. Like the smell, when you smell it, you get the, it's, there's that wine mm-hmm. scent to it. Like there's a hint of wine, but it's, you can tell it's more. It's more than just wine. So I think one of the good definitions of a, a good meal or a good beverage is something that really is complex and has a lasting finish to it, right? And so as you're talking, after you take a sip out of your glass, you start to get some of that spice, a hint of pepper, and, you know, you get the, the oak tannin, and it just keeps going on. And then you're like, you got to take another sip, you know. So it starts mm-hmm. sweet, and you can really taste the grapes. And, you know, when we were making wine back at Juniper Wall Ranch, I remember we're, you know, taking bunches of, of grapes, right, and putting them through the, the crusher or the stemmer. And, you know, you stop and you, and you sample some of the grapes. And I remember thinking wine grapes were like the best fruit I'd ever had. I had goosebumps telling the story <laughs> because it was so good. And I thought, but wine doesn't taste like that, right? And then we started to discover ports and late harvest wines, and some of the sweeter ones, right? That in a lot of the wine world, they, they, they don't dig that, right? They're like, oh, that can hide a flaw or something. But if you've ever had a really nice Sauterne or a port, you know that, you know, those are amazing beverages, right? Certainly can be some yeah. of the best in the world. And when you use honey and you have this, you know, sort of semi-sweet character, I mean, to a wine drinker, they'd say this is sweet for sure. You get to taste what the grape tasted like. It's really cool how honey can bring out vanilla in a vanilla mead. It can bring out fruit in a fruit mead, berries or grapes in this case. So it's kind of cool where you get that character of the grape, you get a little bit of the honey, you get the barrel, and it just comes together in this perfect integration. So Yeah. And I always think the honey, it, it adds to it rather than taking away. People always think that it's going to be super sweet and all you're going to taste is the honey. Mm-hmm. But we ferment you know, we don't ferment everything bone dry, but we ferment the sweetness out and, and re- the flavors that are left complement everything else that we're doing. You know, when we add it to a barrel, the, it complements what's happening inside the barrel. And people have a, a preconceived notion that they think they know what it's going to taste like. It's going to be syrupy and sweet, yeah. and that's not our style at all. It, um, it's more of a complementary to the other flavors that we add because we, we make some traditional meads and one actually won a gold medal this year at the Mazer Cup, which was really nice for a bourbon barrel aged, just traditional mead. But um, when you add the different characteristics like from the barrels and the different adjuncts that we use, it really just complements it and pulls those flavors together and, and kind of stabilizes them, I think, rather than keeping everything separate yeah i i agree like because when i taste that if i could describe it in one word it's balanced like everything is it's super balanced because before i had mead for, for the first time and it was your guys's mead i think i had it wandering tortoise um i can't remember which one it was but i was thinking i was like it's gonna this is gonna be super mm-hmm. sweet you know like i'll try it though and i taste i'm like holy shit like this is fantastic yeah, yeah it's not yeah. what people think it's no. gonna be and it's funny because everything that comes out of here now is it's as close to perfect as we can make it, but it was yeah. not always that way. It was a <laughs> lot of trial and error, and we we're talking about like fermenting and managing the fermentation. There's some we have some really funny stories that go along with that about how um, 
not everything went as smoothly as it does now. There's <laughs> right. a lot of experimenting that we did before we brought other people into the company yeah. to help us. Once we had kind of figured out what we were doing, then we invited people in to help. Yeah. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had our practices down. And we're always you know, adding to it, adding new equipment. Uh, that we didn't use before. It's much higher tech than it than it was when we first started. And we yeah. made some real messes. We made some really horrible tasting <laughs> meat that, you know, we never released, obviously, but yeah. we were able to turn into other things. And there's yeah. uh, it's definitely been a process to get to the point that we're at now. And it, it, to us, seems like it took a long time. But when you look back, you know, it's really only been six years of... Um, kind of perfecting our fermentation practices and it's really cool yeah well i, I mean i've seen um because i've been out in arizona here i think 11 years now um so when you guys started coming up i was you know i i think what pulled me in was the was the logo itself i just i, I thought that was cool in the name um so i can't remember whether it was on facebook or instagram whatever i started kind of seeing things about you guys um and to see things just explode and i i thought it was just awesome because next thing you know i'm seeing you guys distribute to these other countries and getting awards like you guys have won lots of awards right for for this mead Right, so the Mazer Cup is the largest commercial mead competition, yeah. and so we've competed in that since our first year, and so we've always won something, you know, whether it was one medal or first year or a few as we've gone on, and so to compete with, you know, our, you know, the best in the biz is kind of neat, and what's really cool this year is um, Sati Paya is, uh, so Timo's uh, the owner of Sati Paya, and we know him and his, his family, and they've stayed with us, um, we posted him for a couple collaborations, so... He actually won three gold medals, and that's really awesome, right? So yeah. he won more gold medals than anyone, and it's cool that an international, you know, Swedish meadery, you know, did that. Yeah. So um, we actually just released, you can see um, the truffle luffagus uh, sign behind me there. That was one oh, yeah. of our guild bottles. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And so we, when Timo came out last summer, we, we caramelized honey, and we did this chocolate coconut truffle mead that was double barrel aged. So that was one of our guild bottles. So we have, you know, it's like a beer wine club we call the guild. And so folks can sign up for that. And, uh, and they, you know, we have a party where you get to bring a plus one, and we have food and music, and you get to try all your guild bottles without having to open them up, and you get your, your bottles. And then we usually do, like, some surprise releases and stuff. So that just came out. And so it was really neat that, like, almost the same... It was like, what, a week later after the Mazer Cup or two weeks later, you know? Yeah. Timo kills it at the Mazer Cup, and then I, we released our collab. So nice. looking forward to sending him some of those bottles and, and next week. And that's out now, the Truffleupagus? Right. So, yeah, um, yeah and that, that sold out real quick. So our, our guild always has the, uh, the ability to buy whatever oh, okay. extra bottles yeah. there are. Okay. And uh, so a couple of those are still available in our tasting room. But, yeah, yeah that one went say, pretty quick. I don't think it's sold out in the tasting room, but yeah. there's not a lot left. Nice. Well, maybe we should make this go live and sell those last couple. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'll have my wife drive up there. Jackie, get up there real quick. Um, but uh, well, guys, this is this is awesome. I, I love what you guys are doing. This facility is great. This meat is is fantastic. There was this. I don't know if you brought this house to show us or to share it. Or... No, we're gonna we're gonna share it. Oh, yeah. I was really excited. This is something. <laughs> really... <laughs> well, let me let me grab us some fresh glasses. All right. All right. So this is really special. What we just opened here we um we got about oh, 12 or 14 gallons of some riesling grape juice from mickel Bjergso's vines in germany and when i was out well was that october we were doing a launch in san diego and so we mm -hmm. we picked up some of these you know the stabilized juice and we brought it back 
and uh, we used local Prescott wildflower honey and Nelson solvent hops. So as many of your listeners know, there's a really nice white wine quality to that hop variety. It's a hard to get, hard to get it hop is. too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually, even for the small amount that went into here, we had to, had to call around. Mm-hmm. So we, we fermented uh, the honey and the hops and the grape juice together. Then we dry hopped it with the Nelson hops as well. And so this is, and we only have like maybe 120 or so bottles of this. We're not going to release it. This is going to be something that is just a, a gift that we give to people that we collaborate with over the next year or so. And so we're looking forward to sending um, some of these bottles off to Copenhagen ahead of our arrival in a few weeks. So we call this Naturlich, which is a German word for naturally or of course, and we thought that'd be kind of cool. It's my favorite German word. <laughs> it's got an umlaut, out and it's fun to say. Yeah, it is. So, um, Naturlich. Let's uh, let's see how this smells and tastes. Man, that smell is like so- I've nothing like I've smelled before. Was this in yeah. the barrel? No, no. So we okay. didn't we didn't use um, any wood in this. We wanted to really showcase mm-hmm. that pure white wine character and see what happened with the w- local wildflower honey and the and the riesling. Yeah, you can really taste the difference between what was in the barrel and what was not in the barrel. Oh, it's so just good. savory, little tart. Mm-hmm. I got my buddy Josh here right. too. So, Josh, do you want to describe what you're tasting? Oh, it's amazing. So, as you breathe it in, you, it just all of the flavors that you're smelling, it just comes to life. It's so good. I think that'd be good carbonated. Oh, that would be. I didn't even realize it wasn't carbonated. We were just talking on our way up oh. about how carbonation is so important uh, when it comes to like beer and stuff. Um, and I didn't even notice this wasn't even carbonated. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because <laughs> it's yeah. so good. We carbonate the ciders. Other than that. Um, We've only done a few meads that are carbonated. One of the reasons we, before we started this, we were talking about some of the taxes. The taxes are really high on, on our carbonated cider and, and our mead. So it's um, federally $3.30 a gallon um, that you pay just in tax. one of your, you know, like we count about 14 different taxes as a business overall that we pay. So that's one of our excise taxes. We call it the bubble tax. So um, we, we probably will uh, eventually come out with some maybe lower ABV, uh, meads to kind of balance, you know, the cost of goods sold that go into that. So that's that's actually how a lot of meaderies, um, you know, focus their production is doing lower ABV carbonated products. That's another really good introduction to the beer world, right? If something has bubbles in it, it's kind of natural. If something has hops in it, it's kind of natural, right? Yeah. Because you know, if you're like, hey, I why well, I, I like IPAs. So I mean, if you like an IPA and you try this, and you like, you can taste the hops in there, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of cool too. Yeah. So there's always it's always nice to you know connect with someone that maybe hasn't had mead before. But, but yeah, most of what we do is, you know, the higher ABV, like wine style ABVs and, and the mead, because it seems like th- there are ways certainly to make lower ABV meads taste really good. But um, for the most part, in our experience, hitting that 12 to 14 or up percent is really where you're going to have enough raw materials going in on the front end to give you enough flavor on the back end and stand right. up to barrel aging and things and, and, and the time that we want things yeah. to be able to age. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up with a thinner product. It's just not quite as, not really as savory or more watered down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just not. And one of the real differences, I think, with what we do and some of the other craft beverages that we love, we always say when you open a beer, you, you need to drink it within hours, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. when you open a wine, you need to drink it within days. But mead can last weeks or months. When you have some of our really sweet meads, mm-hmm. like in the White Series, for example, sometimes you can, you know, take that cork out and, and properly store it and then go back to it in your fridge months later. And that oxidation that happens like can bring some other flavors out and it tastes amazing. It it's actually gets better with age and 
even it's, after if it's opened. Some, in some cases. In yeah. some yeah. cases, not everything. Yeah. But we've had things open in our fridge for, I mean, a year. And you go to pour out what's left in the bottom. You're like, I can't believe how great this still tastes. <laughs> you, and, you, and you wouldn't believe it unless you've actually experienced yeah. that. And you're like, yeah. this actually is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So if you wanted to... Um, you know, use mead for cocktails or to, you know, like we always tell our accounts, if you want to sell it by the glass, you don't have to No, in our tasting room. We, you know, we have wine gas. It's like a mix that we'll, we'll put in all of our bottles to have the best quality at the end of every shift. Yeah. But, um, and so, you know, you do what you can, but you don't have to have that pressure. If you're, you know, a wine bar, for example, or a brew pub yeah. of, if you have the right license, right. Of, of, you know, having to, well, we need to sell this in a day or two or whatever. Yeah. So it's good for, for a while. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's good to know because, well, and honestly, if I if I crack that open, it'd probably be. I'd. Jeff has. He gave us these little tasters, like <laughs> these are like two ounce tasters. Uh, Jeff has a seventeen ounce mug. Uh, <laughs> it's half gone. Yeah. It's half gone. Yeah, but no, this stuff is that is fantastic. That's and I like it with with the Nelson. Um, I, I like anything with a single hop in it. That's why I like the single hop beers because then you can really taste. You can, yeah, you get the what, actual flavor. Yeah, yeah, and then it helps you figure out like there's certain hops that I don't like. And I don't know if I don't like them, right? Because I try a beer and I'm like, I don't like that, but I don't Not know why. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But then I'm like, okay, Denali hops. That's the one that I don't, you know, like. But uh, but no, this is all fantastic stuff. I'm, I appreciate you guys having us up here and and showing us around. Cool. And I think you brought us something that we're going to try. Yeah, I did. I did. So uh, let's open this up. Yeah. So this is uh, my buddy Chris um, has Innocence Beer Company. Um, they're out of Tempe. Um, he hooks me up with some beers. He cu- he reaches out and he's like, "Hey, you uh, available today? I got some beers." I'm like, "I can make myself be available." Right? Yeah. So this is a whiskey barrel Grant's Big Breakfast Stout. So this was uh, it's an imperial stout aged one year in whiskey del Bach barrels with maple syrup, coffee, and vanilla. You can taste all of those things. And the second that I tasted it, I was like, "That is a breakfast stout." Right? Yeah. Yeah. It is spot on it's really super is. smooth so good job yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> it's not you know overly carbonated as you'd expect for the style yeah um mm-hmm. i took the bjcp exam and and passed it a while ago and um i'm See, jogging I my it. i passed it all right cool <laughs> yeah, no i'm saying you you were like i took it and i passed studying was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. um, but no i'm jogging my memory on you know like like the style and everything yeah uh, style that this is and it's it's great and i studied with him okay. so i you know yeah she, but she i didn't take pass by osmosis <laughs> <laughs> studied i know the, almost as much yeah. as he <laughs> <laughs> maybe even a little bit more because when he had to focus on the studying part right i was you, just drinking. like i'll finish this off yeah that's <laughs> no, delicious there's um there's a sweetness that really balances mm-hmm. out the 12 percent abv yeah so um you know you're not drinking it where there's like almost zero warmth so it's like right. super balanced yeah and and a lot of fun, yeah. That's a that's a great. I mean, I'd say sipper, but really, I love this kind of beer, so I mm-hmm. could drink that whole bottle. And real the barrel, quick. yeah, the barrel aging. <laughs> the rest on is it. yours, Jeff. You yeah, can finish one that a, one like off. a handful of granola and yeah. that, and, <laughs> yeah. and then I have breakfast done. Yeah, French toast. No, they do really good. Um, I can't even remember the, the last couple beers that he gave me. Um, he, there was a there was a Belgian quad that was amazing. <sighs> I think that was aged in whiskey del Bach barrels too. So, nice. um, they like the whiskey del Bach. That's yeah, uh, and I don't blame them. That's we're into the, we're into. Uh, the Belgians, big time. Me too. I like the Belgians, yeah. yeah. That's what kind of got us on the road to craft beer was when we actually went to Belgium and started drinking beers over there. And we're like, it's a little different than what we get over yeah. in our neck of the woods. I've never been, um, 
I've never been. Actually, I was out of the U.S. one time. I went to Canada, Niagara Falls. Does that count? <laughs> I don't think it does. <laughs> I really don't think it does. I just remember them being like four years behind in music. Like right. we, we went up there in like 2001. It was like Gangster's Paradise, Coolio. I'm like, what is going on? It's on all the channels. But it's uh, on my jogging mix. Is it? Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a good one. Yeah, it gets you going. You do the boxing like moves and stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, traveling is always been part of our even before we got into this business we always traveled and had a it's probably part of the reason that we've been together so long too is our our desire to travel and experience different cultures and scenes and food and everything that goes along with traveling and it's part of our our lifestyle for sure yeah and we've we have kids and we brought our kids along on a lot of those adventures since I mean, I think we've only left them home maybe once when we went to Europe. It was yeah. on accident, probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, get, we, get, we get one chance a year to, to get away with just mom and dad, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Looking forward to that coming up in a couple of weeks. Nice. Yeah. And it's amazing you don't think of Denmark as being real foodie, but mm-hmm. some of the best restaurants and best food and best beer and. It's a great place if you're into eating to hit Copenhagen. They have some really interesting, delicious food and great restaurants. That yeah, it's such an the whole week there is there's something going on at you know, like nine or ten places it's all day rich. every day. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing if yeah you get the chance to go anywhere and you can get to check out CBC over there. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, if you were gonna pick one festival, definitely. CBC, mm-hmm. okay, in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah, it's the one. It's it's a good time. I'm gonna see if I can book flights right now. When is it? Uh, <laughs> I think it's the 11th, 12th, 12th, 13th in May. Okay, second yeah. weekend. Good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, is there is this another one that we're trying? Yeah. To? This, so this will probably be the last one. We we pulled some nails on, and this hasn't been in the barrel very long, but it's Vanilla Marion. So this is something that uh, it's available in most of our Arizona accounts right now. So we took Marion Mead, which um, is one of our best-selling meads and has won a gold medal at the Mazer Cup. And we added vanilla to it, and so we, you know, made this awesome vanilla mead. And in this case, it'll be a barrel-aged version. It'll be in there for, for a while, maybe a year. So this is sort of a preview of what that'll be. But um, it's in a, a barrel that, that had held um, blackberry white uh, right before that. So. Okay. And I feel like you can taste the blackberry white in there. Uh-huh. It has yeah. a different smoothness to it. I yeah. love that name too, the berry white. Right. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. really, and you can really taste the berries in that for sure. And the the vanilla is not too overwhelming too either. Like yeah. you can sometimes when people add vanilla to anything, it can be like just it's way bittering. Like, yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. It's not bitter at all. Once again, nice job, guys. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you? Website. Yeah. So if media. you go to just our website, superstitionmeadery dot com, we have. Um, about 150 accounts in Arizona right now. So that's a really good place to go. Uh, if you're in Arizona or in 37 states or D.C. that are listed on our on our web shop, you can order bottles, which is really cool. We do special releases from time to time online. Uh, one new thing that folks can look forward to that will probably start um, summertime, end of summer maybe, uh, we have two mead makers here that are working together on um, a mead maker's really exciting. reserve. They're, and, and, and the deal is I'm not allowed to to have any input into the product. Uh, I'm reserving. For the first time? No, for, for everything they make. But meaning, that, that is this the first time this has happened? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They yeah. asked for some autonomy. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so I'm reserving 
the ability to name the products. Okay. So that is in my purview. But <laughs> they can make whatever they want. Okay. And so so Jared and Joe are going to be making different products, like alternating months. And so we haven't set like a release date or anything. But basically, like the first of every month, for example, there's going to be something new coming out that'll be really limited. Um, you know, one barrel or it may not even be barrel age, but if we're doing it, it'll be like 300 bottles or so coming out of, you know, like a single barrel batch, right? Nice. Um, barrel meaning, you know, oak barrel versus beer barrel, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and these will be 500 milliliter bottles. And there will probably be, you know, about 100 of those will go online, about 200 will go just to our tasting room. So it'll be kind of cool to make something really special and limited. And that's, um, you know, one thing that we're going to do to sort of focus on, you know, what we do with our web store and try and get some more attention out on that to, to folks yeah. all around the country, which will awesome. be a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, they're going to do crazy flavors, things we've, everything will be something we've never made before. And so in addition to all of the collaborations and special projects and variations we do, we're going to have something where every month something new is coming out. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah. And that's all just Mead Makers Reserve. I think we're calling it the Contingency Series. Right. The Contingency Series. I like it. Yeah. Nice. We've gone through a few names and, um, that's what we agreed on. That's the one that sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. You get to tap that AZ thumbs up on that one too. I like that name. Right on. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. Keep making awesome stuff. And I don't even know what to say at this point. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thanks for being here. And, yeah. and thanks for doing what you're doing to promote Arizona. Um, yeah. We've been all about yeah. that since we started. Yeah. And it's really neat when, you know, we go to other other states, other countries, and, and they, they know about Arizona, you know, and then the craft scene that's really coming up with, you know, us and, and our friends that are right. doing the, the same work in the beer world. It's really it's cool. up and coming. Arizona is yeah. going to hopefully, if we can push things in the right direction, just be a cool craft beverage yeah. scene. Yeah. And even Prescott itself, Prescott's got the meadery and we make cider we've got some breweries we have a distillery we've got another winery and so um not that we'll be the center of craft beverages up here but there's a lot to do if you come up to prescott yeah and a lot of uh cool places to go drink and try local craft beverages not just beer yeah, we do uh, live music every Friday and Saturday night. The acoustics are amazing room? in our tasting oh, room. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone wants to subscribe to our events uh, on Facebook, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and, and see what's going on as well. So, yeah, there's um, probably four to six events every week somewhere around the state that our sales reps are doing, usually oh, nice. free tasting mm-hmm. events as well. Okay. So, so, yeah, get on social media and see what's going on. You can get out there, try some new stuff for free, and pick up whatever you want to bring home. So we we think it's really cool that Arizona, um, because of our efforts, and now there's some other meteries out there even, and Flagstaff and Chandler, um, we're we're sort of creating this awareness about mead and cider that, that, you know, a few years ago just wasn't there. Yeah. So it's really cool to see what's going on with the beer world, but also mead and cider, Arizona wines up and coming. um, And it's really an exciting time to be part of this, you know, that you can kind of feel that that wave of progress is happening in Arizona and people are traveling here now to, you know, to check out, you know, certain producers. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's these, these festivals that are traveling around like the uh, Juicy Brews. Oh yeah. You guys were at the Juicy Brews um, in Tucson. Probably the best festival I've been to because it was super intimate. Um, I think there was 15 um, uh, breweries uh, down there and it was awesome. Even the brewers loved it. Like, cause a lot of times you go to like strong beer fest or whatever, and 
so many people. The brewers are just pouring and pouring. Right, it's just yeah. stressful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This thing, they were like, dude, this is awesome. They loved it. They're hanging out, talking with people. Um, so it's cool to see you guys be involved with that as well. Um, and you guys are part of the, it's kind of like the all-star game of Juicy Brews, right? You guys are going to be a part of that? What's so, uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're sending uh, Kate, that's our GM in the tasting room, to Richmond. Yeah. And uh, so that's the next Juicy Brews that we're doing. Yep. And that's really cool because our distributor in D.C. also distributes in Northern Virginia. So that's sort of fortuitous that that, that worked out. And yeah. timing will be great. So there will be a D.C. event um, that we haven't announced yet. And then the Juicy Brews in Richmond. And you know, we'll see what else uh, comes out of that. But we've been at, uh, you know, Wakefest and Hunapu's Day. Uh, we do things in California. So... Yeah, it's fun uh, getting out there and yeah, and the wood shop. Yeah, got wood. Yeah, it's this private <laughs> bottle share that's like the coolest bottle share in the world. What We've been it? a part of wood shop. It wood shop. Awesome. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops, was I not supposed to say anything? Now you got it. Now I got to be invited. I will delete this entire episode right. if I get to go. It. Yeah, it's it's a it's a private ticketed event and it's um maybe the coolest bottle share in the world. Where where is it? Uh, in California, okay. it's in L.A. or San Diego every year. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes twice a year, so yeah. they're doing one. Sometimes two locations. Like, as we speak, yeah, like this moment, in L.A., at yeah. this moment. Wow. Yeah, we unfortunately yeah. Uh, couldn't make it out this time, but we'll be at the next one. <sighs> so I was at one or two wood shops ago. It was really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you have some of the like the brewers from places you've heard of hanging out, pouring their stuff. It's yeah. really awesome. That's so, nice. yeah, doing events like that is super cool. And, yeah. and for, for Jen and I, I think you... There's a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into growing a business yeah. and and everything that, that goes into that, right? Like, that's a whole other interview, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but Do a whole that, series. That having right? been yeah. said, that, like, the most rewarding thing, the coolest thing, is when we get to go to an event or we're in our tasting room, like, later today, and we get to meet people that appreciate what we do and get it, and it sort of validates all of the effort, right? Like, yeah. at, at, at the most basic level, it's just really cool to shake hands with someone and, and cheers a glass and be like, hey... Like we're on the same page. This is really awesome. Thanks for for getting it and being here. Yeah. So and thank you guys for being here. Absolutely. Yeah. It's our pleasure. It's a lot. It was real yeah, tough. Yeah. I'm glad we finally me. made it happen. I know. I know. Me too. All that time. I know. <laughs> I didn't even know this was the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it was you and I communicating <laughs> right? back yeah, and forth. I was like, yeah. 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 We can do it. And yeah. then I was like, I'm drinking the rest of this beer. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Innocence Beer Company, you guys, you guys there nailed you it. It's gone. Nailed yeah, it. it's, it's gone. Yes. You guys nailed it. Well, guys, thanks again. Um, great drinks, great times. You guys are awesome. Everything. What I love is you guys are. It's it's growing organically, and like you guys are getting out there because you're making great products, and right. I think that's the best way to best way to do it. So, thanks. represent Arizona. You and know it. Yeah. So our goal, our goal with my, my goal with Tap That AZ and Arizona Food and Beer, uh, which is another brand I'm part of, is to make Arizona a craft beer beverage destination. Thank you. Yes. Because yes. that's, I think everyone in the business is hoping for that to happen. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for a reason to come visit Arizona and not just Phoenix or not just the Grand Canyon, but let's make our rounds and yeah. see what's happening out here because it's really exciting. There's a lot of cool stuff going on around the state. Yeah, I, I agree. I, there was a couple of people that reached out through Instagram. They saw it, they followed the podcast and they were just coming out on vacation. Like, hey, have you ever been to Ren House? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the best brewery. Yeah. Right? So this, <laughs> this one guy asked me, he's like, hey, he's like, do you have any other suggestions? I'm like, yeah, I do. So I sent him this long email, like, okay, go here, go this way. You have to go through Sedona and all this right. stuff. And he was, I followed him on Instagram. He was doing all this stuff. Um, he's like, dude, that was a great Well, and not guide. a lot of people are uh, into rate beer anymore, but we were 
Superstition Meadery was on the rate beer, like, top 100 places to go. And they did a little map of across the country of where you should stop in. Yeah. And Prescott was on that map. And so we had a couple people say, hey, I didn't even know about you guys until I looked at the rate beer map. And this is so cool. And so... Well, good stuff. Guys, thanks. All right. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. All right.